Welcome to Alaskwatch, the show all about Bigfoot in the great state of Alaska. I'm your host, Beans Baxter. So lace up your boots, zip up your coat, and come with me on an adventure as we explore all things cryptid in the last frontier. All right, guys, welcome to the second installment of my critique and review and impressions, I guess, on uh, True Detective Season 4. Again, I'm I'm doing this because uh, I worked in law enforcement in Alaska for the past uh, 15 years. I was in the military up here for another four years, so I've got about 20 years experience uh, in Alaska between law enforcement and the military. Uh, I was actually, uh, the investigation sergeant for my department when I retired. So, um, I was actually a Alaskan detective. So I've investigated everything from, uh, misdemeanor assault crimes to homicides. So every, everything, every level of crime you can imagine, I have had a hand in investigating here in The Last Frontier. Uh, This episode is going to cover episodes two and three. I'd originally planned to just do the first episode and then just do a series wrap up at the end. And uh, I found myself with a little bit of time and I thought, you know, I'm just going to do episodes two and three together here. And I had um, was going over my notes and I was kind of I was kind of having a hard time remembering some stuff. So I was like, I better get these down now before I forget uh, I'm getting ready to uh, head off on a trip here pretty soon. As you can see, I have, if you're watching the vi- video portion of this, I have shorn my winter locks. I usually don't cut my hair from about October to May. And <clears throat> I uh, went and got a haircut yesterday because I'm getting ready to go someplace warm. And I don't want a bunch of hair uh, on my head. I feel my head feels like it's about two pounds lighter with my all my hair gone. And... So I'm getting ready to uh, head south. You know, it's February in Alaska. That's about the time people start uh, taking vacations and and going someplace warm uh, to get out of the the middle of winter as it is. Uh, February is usually uh, pretty cold. And then uh, March, depending on the year, we usually get hammered with snow, which we've had a big snow snow load this year. A lot of snow this year. Uh, We just got like five or six inches the other day. And... We just uh, got dug out from that, which that wasn't, it was, it was five or six inches really isn't that big of a deal. Uh, the problem was, is the wind was blowing, excuse me, and it uh, makes it hard to see. Visibility gets low. A uh, little concerned about my drive to the airport uh, here in a few days. Uh, initially, they're like, oh, it's going to be, you know, cold and clear. And now the weather's kind of changed uh, where there might be some snow, which I don't, I don't, you know, I've been up here long enough driving. The snow doesn't bother me, but. There's always that, like, well, is it going to be windy? Is it going to be wide out? Is it, you know, are the roads going to be maintained? Uh, are they going to be plowed? So there's always some concerns uh, when you've got to be at a certain place at a certain time, like the airport, uh, and there's some weather coming in, which is a factor in, in the show. Um, so I'm just, like I said before, uh, if you watch the first episode, I'm not going to get super detailed into the structure of the show. I'm just going to kind of hit on some beats that 
uh, struck a chord with me or, or that I wanted to comment on. Uh, I, I, I don't want to go like beat by beat through the show. Um, episode two starts. They found these missing scientists from the uh, research station. And they're frozen in ice, which looks like, because when you can see them, it's only, they're only like from the head up. You know, they're like sticking up out of the ground, uh, which to me makes me think like, okay, well, are they on a lake or like what, 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 why is this, what is this frozen area here they're on? I don't think they ever say. Uh, and again, they never, it, it's kind of weird because it makes me see the way they're in there. It makes it seem like it wasn't frozen when they went in and then they got frozen in there because they're like underground. They're like under the ice. So uh, they never really get into that. Like what did, did that thaw out and they fell through and then it refroze? Like what was the what was the deal there? That, that kind of confuses me a little bit. Uh, I, I kind of feel like they just did that for aesthetics like just for the look of it kind of the feel of it um there were a couple things in the uh in this episode uh navarro the state troopers talking to the woman that found them off to the side a little bit and they're outside they're in this like arctic environment they're above the arctic circle according to the location the show has given us and they're talking and you can't see their breath uh that kind of it made me think they were on a soundstage maybe i do know they filmed uh on location like greenland or something uh mainly probably because the alaska uh film doesn't do the filming commission does has done away with our like tax credits or whatever that we were given there for a while so that kind of took me out of it like why can't you see their breath when they talk um that was a little weird because uh, some it seemed like in some scenes you could and then in that scene you couldn't. Uh, they they chip the missing scientists. They like chip the ice around them and like get them out like a big sculpture. I'm curious as to how they like chip the ice underneath them out, uh, like pull them out like a freaking um, ice cube, a, a scientist sickle. And they're in this weird like they're in these weird poses uh, where they're all like gestating and like, you know, their hands are up. And um, one of the, one of the, I think it's uh, Pryor, the rookie, uh, says something about like, uh, man, it looks like they were running from something. They were really scared. And uh, Danvers, the, the chief of the police, uh, says something like, oh, there's no Yeti, which <laughs> I thought, I was like, yep, yeah, that's, uh, that's about what I would expect her to say. It, it was pretty funny. Uh, just given, you know, if you, if you're not familiar with my my show here, you know, this is a show about all things cryptid in the great state of Alaska, including uh, and up to we talked about Bigfoot quite a bit, and uh, you know, there's a there's a lot of I don't want to say evidence, but there's a lot a lot of uh, precedent, I guess, uh, for Bigfoot being in Alaska. And uh, one, she called it Yeti, which is I don't think hardly anybody up here calls it that. And two, if you live in and around a native community, you've, if you've talked to enough natives, you've heard enough stories that I couldn't see somebody really just outright dismissing that that's been in a position for that long. Uh, but it, it was, it was kind of, it was kind of a funny, 
funny little uh, story. And it was very, so the, the very, uh, the vibe was very Dyatlov Pass like. I don't know if it's because of the snow and the ice, uh, but uh, very, very same vibes. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Dyatlov Pass incident, there's a group of uh, Russian college students uh, in their early, early to mid 20s, I guess. Uh, I can't remember how many, about the same number, maybe six or seven. And uh, they went up to this area called Yatlov Pass. They were trying to get some kind of, um, uh, it was some kind of class credit, like a, um, almost like a, a outdoor badge or credit, a class or something. They had to go and spend the night uh, in a certain temperature of weather or something and uh, go a certain distance. And they disappeared and they were found in um, some very strange circumstances. Uh, it looked like the tent had been cut open from the inside. Uh, they were found, the bodies uh, of the students were found away from the tent. Uh, some, like a couple over here, a couple over there, like one over here. And uh, very strange conditions for the bodies. And there was a lot, there's been a lot of speculation over the years as to what happened. Uh, of course, nobody lived to to tell the tale. So uh, a lot of uh, spooky speculation. Uh, were they being chased by some kind of Yeti? <laughs> uh, was it, um, I think the latest theory was there was some sort of uh, avalanche or a wind storm, a wind, uh, they called it something like a wind tunnel or typhoon that came down the hill. Uh, just a, a lot of different speculation over the years as to what happened to them. Um, if I remember correctly, there was maybe some talk of some of them, some of the bodies, uh, maybe uh, radiating, having some radiation to them, or maybe being ra irradiated. So there was some talk of like some weapons testing that maybe they stumbled onto. Um, a lot, a lot of stuff. Very mysterious, much like our missing scientists here in, in True Detective. And uh, they put them in the ice rink, the local hockey rink, uh, basically because they don't have any place big enough to put them in cold storage uh, and they want them to thaw out. And it's, it's kind of funny because in, in a lot of ways, I mean, that's, that's super rural Alaska. Like sometimes you don't have the resources and you just kind of got to make a do with what you need. And at one point, uh, somebody from it's, a, I'm, I'm a little confused here. I'm not sure if this, if so at one point they, um, they call themselves, is it AFP or something like that? I think, I think what they're supposed to be a part of is like the borough police, like North Slope borough police. Although they don't use that name. I think that's what the AFP is supposed to be. And there's a captain that is over uh, Danvers. And I wasn't sure if he was a trooper captain or if he's supposed to be an AFP captain. But <clears throat> I I didn't quite get their dynamic, although he did seem to be in charge of her. Um, and he wants to for Anchorage to take over the case, which doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me because I don't know if he means like Anchorage PD because they would never do that because that's way the hell outside their jurisdiction. Uh, or if he means maybe the... Um, Alaska, uh, what is it? Alaska Bureau of ABI, like the Alaska Bureau of Investigation, which is troopers. Uh, and that, I guess that would be something maybe that they would 
they would take on. Although most of the time, you know, in the TV shows you see, you'll see jurisdictions like fighting over like a case. Like this is, this is our case. You know, you stay away, you know, like we want to work. And in real life, it's often quite the opposite where they're like, this is your case. Oh no, no, this is yours. Uh, no, I don't think so. You know, like they, nobody wants to work it. Uh, especially if it's a boondoggle like this thing. So, uh, it was kind of cool. Danvers pulls out this book, this, this, uh, handbook. And it's the, uh, I, it's supposed to be like the crime lab, uh, guidebook handbook on how to process evidence. <clears throat> and she's trying to convince this captain guy to let the body stay there so they can thaw out at the ice rink. And she pulls the, the forensic guide out and, it did. It was pretty cool because I could reckon. I recognized the logo for the Anchorage Crime Lab. Like I had a book very similar to that. Oh, we, the the one she had was much thicker than the one that we had. The one we had was probably I don't know, maybe maybe a hundred pages at the most. Like it wasn't super thick, and the one she had was like a, the size of a phone book. And I think. Um, I think they was probably, you know, it was probably something they put together for the show, but whoever, a lot of attention to details with a lot of this stuff. Uh, but on the other hand, there's like a lot of, so the, the props people, I guess is what I'm trying to say. The props people did their due diligence. There's a lot of good detail with some of the props, uh, like that crime lab logo on the book she had, uh, the plates on the trooper vehicles are very similar. You know, they have AST at the beginning of them. Uh, there, there's a lot of little details that I notice here and there where I'm like, man, that's spot on. But then there's a few things that I'll talk about here a little bit later where I'm like, that is not at all accurate or like, that seems like they had no input whatsoever. Uh, one example is in the last episode, I was talking about how they were calling, uh, Trooper Navarro, they called her agent a couple times. And then in one of the, I think it was episode three, um, several of the officers get called agents. And that's just not, it's just not the parlance that's used up here, uh, unless you're, uh, some type of federal agent, or maybe you're attached to some, a task force and you're a task agent for the task force. That's not really a term that gets thrown around a lot, uh, up here. You're either officer, a trooper, or you get addressed by your rank, like Sergeant or corporal or, or whatever you are. But, uh, yeah, I thought, I thought that was a, a neat touch having the, uh, Alaska crime lab, uh, logo on the front of the little book there. Um, and she, she says she, she reads, she finds what she's looking for and she reads to the captain. She says, uh, you know, frozen bodies are to be maintained at a you know temperature of 38 degrees until they are adequately thawed for transport or something like that. And it makes it sound like it's very, very like strict and by the book on how this stuff is done. And it's kind of funny because having worked in rural Alaska, like sometimes you, like I said, you just do the best you can with what you have. And remember when I said like her crime lab book that she had was like the size of a phone book. And the one we had was probably about not even a third of that. It's, it's like that for like a lot of that stuff is vague for a reason because you don't have, and especially in rural Alaska, you don't have the resources to do a lot of that stuff and to do it hundred percent by the book properly. And if a case goes to trial, I mean, can you imagine you're, 
you live in the middle of nowhere in Alaska and you're, you have a body and a case that goes to trial and you're sitting on the stand, you know, like a year later or two years later and the defense like whips out that book and is like, you know, Sergeant Baxter was the body properly maintained at 38 degrees for at least 42 hours while it was defrost, you know, thawing from being frozen. Like that's, <laughs> that's not a question you want to have to answer. That's not something you really have to want to like, Hmm, let me check my logs, you know, my temperature logs for the ice rink or whatever the, where we stored the bodies. Like they keep that stuff a little vague for a reason. Like there's certain ways that they want you to handle certain types of evidence. But again, during certain circumstances, especially with bodies and body retrieval, you just kind of do the best you can with what you got. Cause bodies come in a lot of different shapes and sizes and, substances so we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later but i thought that was kind of funny uh that was 100 percent done for the show just a reason for them to keep the bodies there a little bit longer i think although they do mention uh she tries to get a forensic tech flown in and the weather is an issue they can't land they're going to try again tomorrow uh had similar situations like that when I worked on St. Paul Island, uh, somebody's coming, uh, you know, somebody's coming in to you know, help you out or relieve you or to bring you something. And they can't because the weather's bad. The plane had to turn around. They'll try again tomorrow. Uh, that happens a lot, especially in, in, um, in Western Alaska, up in the interior, uh, a lot of bad weather, wind, a lot of snow. Uh, there is a couple of instances in this episode and episode three where they're talking on their, both Navarro and Danver are talking on the radio and their radio traffic, their radio etiquette is horrible. Um, it's just not the way you talk on the radio. Uh, very unrealistic. Although in more rural locations, it is a little bit more relaxed. I think probably how you speak on the radio, but I think uh, she's go at one point Navarro's like over, you know, like, what's your victor vector? <laughs> it's a, it was ridiculous. Like, nobody says that. Nobody says, like, over. I it just... <laughs> yeah. We're, we're... I'm coming up over the, the landing site now. Over. Over what? Over... You know, it just goes back and forth. Um. So, Navarro finds out that one of the scientists had purchased a travel trailer or like a little camper and her and um danvers find the trailer and they go inside and it's just like your typical crazy person like there's pictures all over the wall and the ceiling and drawings and of course we see the spirals um uh, pattern that we see on the tattoos and from the first season and all kinds of uh Stuff like that. And there's a, it looks like a body, but I don't think it was actually a body. I, I think it was just a, um, what do you call it? It was just like an effigy, like wrapped in sheets that was supposed to look like a body. Uh, I saw a comment somewhere where somebody said there was a body in there. And I was like, no, I don't think so. Especially if you watch the next episode, they don't mention it. So I think it was just like an uh, effigy. I think it was supposed to be the um, murdered native lady that uh, Navarro is, is whose case Navarro's trying to solve. 
that whole area seemed like to be like a shrine to her or some kind of, uh, yeah, like a crazy person, uh, room, uh, dedicated to her. And, uh, you know, it kind of, it kind of ends with them finding a trailer and then the ice in the hockey rink, uh, finally thaws enough that some of the, the scientists like start to, you start to see what's going on with, with them. Uh, they assume, I guess that the other scientist is like in there somewhere in this icicle that they pulled up out of the, the ice. Uh, and then we find out that, uh, one of the scientists, Clark, I believe is his name is missing. Uh, he's the one that was who owned the trailer. He's the one that was involved with the, the girl that we're going to find. We're going to find out, I think next episode. And that's pretty much how episode, uh, two ended. You know, I, I can't say a whole lot about it other than I, you know, I thought the, the, the crime lab logo was, was a neat little Easter egg. Um, seeing their, not seeing their breath was a, a little weird. Um, there's only going to be, I believe it's six episodes this season. And already, uh, especially in the third episode, I kind of feel like, I feel like it's being stretched out. You know, they're, 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 they need time. You know, they got six episodes to fill, So it's, it's just going on. And, um, I feel like they're, they're kind of dragging things out a little bit. I almost feel like this would have been better off as maybe a, a movie or maybe a two, maybe a two part, like two part, two hour series or something. Um, I think I forgot to mention they get, I was right. I was right. My prediction came true. They get the, the DNA results back in episode two, uh, confirming that the tongue they found at the station was indeed, uh, the murdered, uh, native lady. And I have to say that's probably so far, so far, that's the most unrealistic thing about the show. <laughs> I, I'm okay with the ghosts and stuff walking around and the, the, uh, hallucinations and, and all that. But the, the DNA results back in, in just a few hours, uh, is, is unacceptable. <laughs> that's, a, that's ridiculous. If you uh, listen to the last episode, I uh, talked about how usually by the time you get, would get DNA results back from the lab, you've forgotten what case it was. Like you get these, you get a lab result thing back and you're like, DNA, who is this? What case is it? Is this my case? That's always where I would go. Like, is this mine? I don't think this is mine. And I would look it up. Sure enough, it would be mine. And it would be from like a year ago. And I'd forgotten all about it. <clears throat> so episode three opens up uh, with Navarro. She's looking for the native lady that was uh, murdered. She Apparently she knew her before she was murdered. Uh, she's trying to arrest her on a warrant for trespassing on mine property and she shows up at this place where she's at and it turns out it's some kind of like birthing center, like a, a midwife office. And there's a lady in a pool giving birth and Navarro ends up like assisting with the birth. And then at the end, uh, you know, I, I think at one point the, she says, uh, you're going to have to, you're going to have to shoot me, but I'm going to get this baby out of this woman. And, um, then when the baby comes, then she like holds her hands up and she's like, okay, I'll go with you now. And, uh, I turned to look at my wife and I was like, you know, at that point I'd just be like, you know what? I'll come back tomorrow. <laughs> like you finish up with what you're doing here. Obviously you got stuff going on. 
uh, this is a misdemeanor trespass warrant at best. Uh, we'll pick this up later and <laughs> came back later. I would I would not have drug her out of there at that point. Uh, I'd have been like, maybe you, you might still have some stuff you need to do here with the mother and the baby. And I'll just, uh, I'm not going to deny them care. I'm, I'm just going to, we'll, we'll make a rain check and I'll, I'll come back tomorrow. How, how's two o'clock work for you? And don't run from me because I'll find you. <laughs> it's a misdemeanor warrant. You can get the bail between now and then. Unless we're talking about post SB 91 and then there isn't even any bail and she probably wouldn't even be going to jail. She would just be getting a summons. So they're <clears throat> holding a search party for the missing scientist out on the ice, I guess. Uh, I'm not really sure what the impetus is on this. I don't, I mean, if he's out there, he's probably dead. Uh, there seems to be some, uh, Navarro seems to think he's still alive and he's still out there. Um, I, I don't know. I, it, it, he might be because there was definitely when the guy, the delivery man, uh, discovered that everyone was missing. It seemed like there was someone in the station when he got there. Maybe it was the missing scientist. I don't know. Um, it was a little weird because they have all these guys show up. Apparently, uh, Hank Pryor, the elder Pryor, asked these guys to come and assist with the search. Basically saying, like, we need all the help we can get. And, like, all these, like, it's, like, stereotypical. Like, they went to Central Casting and was like, send me your reddest of rednecks. And, you know, there's guys in pickup trucks. And they're, like, you know, they're they're playing the Dixie theme. You know, like, the General Lee theme when they show up and they're like throwing beer cans out the, the car and stuff. I mean, just like typical, like call central casting and say, give me some rednecks. And, uh, I'm not, I'm not saying there's not rednecks in Alaska, but I'm just saying they're not like Southern rednecks. It just, it was a little weird. It was very, uh, stereotypical, I guess is what I would say. Uh, very, 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 uh, like, Get me a bunch of stupid rednecks and uh, we'll have them assist with this search. And of course, uh, Navarro, she's, she's not, she's not about that. Um, they go off and, and look, and it's a little weird how it seems like they're doing something which is connected to the case. But then the most, one of the most unrealistic things about this is how the, the two, Danvers and, and, and Navarro will be doing something like they'll be, they'll be working on something and dispatch isn't calling them every like 20 minutes. Like, uh, we have, you know, there, there's a, there's a fight at the bar or there's two neighbors fighting over, you know, the dog going to the bathroom in his yard. Or can you call the citizen regarding a, a question about traffic laws? Or, I mean, because that's how it is, because you'll be like right in the middle, like you'll be working on a freaking sexual assault or a murder or something. And you're like in the room, you've got the, the books open, you're, you're, you're drawing diagrams or something. You're trying to put together a timeline. You're like, okay, at 10 o'clock, the call came in. Um, you know, the neighbor said they saw, heard a car door slam at, you know, 9, uh, 50, uh, you know, you're trying to like do all this stuff and then dispatch like, uh, can you 
can you call a citizen back regarding a, a question about the legality of, of BB guns and, and the city limit? And it's just, oh my God, you know, like, I'm freaking busy. Can you, can you let me work on this? And you're the only one on. <laughs> and on the one hand, I'm like, well, you know, these people, this is the taxpayers. They deserve service. But on the other hand, I'm like, I'm freaking doing something kind of important here. Can I please get some, a, a minute or two? And it, it just, it's kind of funny because there, there's this, like, whenever the plot allows for it, they get all the time in the world to do what they need to do. Uh, they, they hardly ever get interrupted uh, unless the plot needs them to get interrupted, um, which happens later this episode. So while the search party is out searching the ice, and that's another thing that, you know, my wife commented on this episode. She said, because it's dark all the time, time is really weird in this episode. Like, I don't know how much time has went by since the bodies have been found. I don't know where, if this episode picks up the next day, a couple of days. It, it doesn't, it's, it's kind of hard to ch- track because you're not sure what time it is because it's always dark. Um, we, at one minute, Navarro and Danvers will be like at home in civvy clothes, like cooking dinner or getting back from the grocery store or something. And then the next minute they're in uniform and they're doing so. So I'm like, well, how is this the next day? Is this 10 minutes from the last scene? Like what's going on? So that's a little confusing. Um, they have a few times uh, thrown the date up on, on the screen, but honestly, I, I wasn't really paying attention to that. So I'm like, I'm not sure. I'm like, okay, is this the next day now? I think it's the next day. Or is it two days <coughs> since the bodies have been found? Uh, I, I, I feel like they should do a first 48 thing and like they should have like started a timer when the bodies were found. And then we should, uh, instead of giving us the date, they should say how many like hours have passed or days have passed because it's uh it's a little, it's a little confusing. And, um, at one point, uh, prior younger prior goes home and, uh, wakes his wife up as he's coming in and he looks at his, he gets a call and he looks at his, uh, phone and it's like three 30 in the morning. So that was okay. Well, it's dark. It's nighttime. Like it's like early, early morning. And, uh, that was really, other than the dates, those were the only real like anchors to what time it was that we got or, or, um, exposition as to what time it was. And, um, they show Danvers and, uh, prior, they go into the evidence room, which unless prior, it, it was a little confusing because typically only one or two people will have access to the evidence room and prior, I unlocked the evidence room and took Danvers in there, which makes me think that he's probably the evidence custodian. Uh, but I guess it's possible to have more than one. Uh, but so all that crap that was in the trailer, they seized it, they boxed it up and put it in like banker boxes in the evidence room. <clears throat> and I told my wife, I was like, that's, that's bullshit. <laughs> um, Typically, I think in a situation like that, probably they would either seize the entire trailer and move it to a secure lot or impound, or 
you would just go through the trailer and seize what you considered evidence. Um, you just wouldn't grab every single little thing out of there. I mean, it's, it's just most places would just wouldn't have the room that to handle that kind of uh, that kind of evidence load. And then you have to log everything in. You know, you have to package it. You have to label it. What it is, who packaged it, how, I mean, it's just <clears throat> hours and hours and hours. If you saw that trailer, how chocked full it was of crap. I mean, that would take days and days and days and days to, to process. To process it properly, anyway. And I was telling my wife, too. So you take everything out of there, box it up. Well, what if it was in a certain position like what if it was like what if some of those pictures were making a collage of something else or something you know like or there was something special about the 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 chronology of how they were um hung up or something like that and which granted you're supposed to take pictures before you collect anything so hopefully they would get good pictures of this place uh entirely but to have the investigating officer Danvers and, and Navarro come in after the fact, after everything's been collected and then go through it, it didn't make any sense to me. It was very, um, very television, I guess, very outside the, the norm, uh, unrealistic. And so while prior showing her all this evidence, uh, he asked her basically like, what happened between you guys? Why aren't you guys like friendly anymore? And she talks about how, like, their last case together, it was a murder-suicide, where they there's a flashback while she's telling the story. And they show this house. They show uh, Navarro and Danvers, excuse me, approaching the house. And I told my wife, I, I, don't, I assume this is probably a house they, they filmed in Greenland or something where they were filming the show. I told my wife, I said, that looks just like a house that would be on St. Paul Island. Like, it looks exactly like a St. Paul Island house <clears throat> and even <laughs> I mean interior it looked like one uh, but basically there's a guy who's a bad dude uh, been in and out of jail a lot history of, I guess uh, domestic violence he was hooked up with uh, a younger lady and uh, they got a call that uh, he was beating her up or something anyway they show up and she says it was a murder-suicide and he killed her and then killed himself but during the flashback, we clearly see that when they showed up, the girl was dead and the guy was still alive. And he turns around and looks at, he's sitting in a chair and he turns around and looks at him as they enter, which makes me believe, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is where it's going. I'm sure it'll be revealed as we progress that one of them, Danvers or Navarro, my money's on Navarro, but one of them kills him and they cover it up. But, I mean, maybe he'll pull out a gun and, and kill himself. But why would she say that he was dead when, when they got there if if uh, if he if they saw him kill himself? It doesn't make any sense. So I'm kind of curious as to how that's going to go. I, <clears throat> I don't really see Navarro being someone that would cover for Danvers. Like if Danvers kills the guy, I don't see Navarro being like, Oh yeah, he, he tripped and fell on some bullets or something. So that's a little, it's a little weird. And I, 
you know, I get tired of the, basically the dirty, the dirty cop, uh, trope, like all, all the cop, like there's really like very few bad cops out there, but every TV show has got to have, you know, some, the cops doing something wrong or bad. Um, and don't get me wrong. Sometimes the means justify the ends, but when it's something like that, it's like, that's beyond the pale. You don't, you don't do that. Um, you know, I, like lying to a suspect or something sometimes, you know, that's fine. The Supreme Court said that's fine, you know, but, but, uh, straight up murdering people. Yeah. I think that's probably where you should draw the line. Probably be, shouldn't be doing that. Um, <clears throat> so Navarro ends up coming in while I think while she's telling the story or somehow they get interrupted. Uh, so they, they start Danvers and Navarro start going through the evidence and they do the typical and this is just you know they do it for the show because it looks cool i guess they take everything out of the boxes and they put it on the floor and uh, i told my wife i'm like this is how crimes get solved is you just take all the evidence you just put it on the floor and you look at it because i don't know how many movies and shows i've seen where somebody's trying to solve a mystery and they just take everything out and they just put it on the floor in a big circle and they just stand over it um i don't know if that's ever if that's ever worked, I <laughs> maybe I should have tried it a couple of times. I don't know. Uh, I did. I would like put things up on the wall and look at them. I don't. I can't say that I ever really like drew, drew like lines or ran string or made connections or anything like that. I like to do like timelines. Uh, personally, I like to write the timeline down. I would sit down and be like, okay, the call came in at this time. Uh, the victim was last seen at this time. You know, this person said they went by at this time. Something like that. I like to do that. I like to write it down. I like to put it in chronological order. That seemed to help. But that was that's how I do things. I know everybody does things a little differently. Um, <clears throat> so they find some um, hair dye on one of the pictures, and they realize that uh, Clark, the scientist, and the what was her? I think we, I keep saying that native lady. I hate, I, I'm going to have to remember her name eventually. I think it's Cora. Uh, they say, they see pictures of them together that someone else took that weren't like selfies or, or like time frame pictures, uh, or stage pictures rather. And so they think maybe cause it was the same color as, um, uh, her hair dye. She had like blue color hair. So they go talk to the hairdresser in town and uh i thought this scene i thought was a little it in some ways it was very spot on because you go the ladies at work uh and they're like we need to talk to you <clears throat> they go in the back room the girls the, the hairdresser's like little girl comes in and is like interrupting the interview and danvers has to take her in the other room and like entertain her and tell her stories and make mac and cheese and that kind of that kind of hit home a little bit because you know i've definitely been in situations like that where i'm trying to talk to somebody and they have like a young child or just, for whatever reason you can't get them away from where they're at uh and you have to talk to them there and people are trying to interrupt or the children are busy or the the dogs you know like running around and um You've, sometimes it helps if you got somebody else there to to distract the kids or, or the animals or whatever and so you can can finish your uh, interview <clears throat> um, they get the name um, 
of uh, Tagak, uh, Mr. Tagak. And they're leaving the hairdresser. And I thought this was, so he worked at the station and I guess he left before all this went down. So they want to talk to him uh, about the girl and the station. And uh, this was one of the, <clears throat> one of the parts where the, uh, the radio traffic really bothered me because she gets on the radio. She calls uh, Pryor and she's like, see what you can find on a uh, Peter Tagak. And he's like, okay. And I was like, oh yeah, don't spell his name. Cause a lot of times when you get somebody's name over the radio, especially uh, a difficult name like that, uh, you always want to spell it. And usually spell it phonetically. And granted, you know, I know they don't want to do, be boring. For, and if she started like, you know, Tango, Alpha, Golf, Alpha, you know, whatever. They're, they, people would be like, what the hell is she doing? They wouldn't get it. Uh, but it, it was kind of funny because it, it, it's something we, you know, we deal with a lot of, uh, or we used to deal with, there's a large Russian population uh, nearby here where I worked. And we would get names like uh, Fefalov or, you know, um, Karmavidov or something. And, and you'd, you would mess with dispatch and you'd say, uh, you know, this is going to be on an Arnold uh, Karlovidov common spelling. <laughs> and of course, they, they dispatch would have no idea how to spell it. And you'd end up having to spell it uh, for them. But it was like a little joke we, we would we would play on them. Uh, but yeah, that, that kind of took me out of it. And it's like, so she didn't, she didn't give us that. And, you know, you always want to give like a name. Now, granted, the hairdresser might not have his full name, but if you had his full name, you give the, as much name as you had and say he's about 40 years old, 50 years old, whatever. Because if not, you get back and you get like a criminal history or printout on somebody that's like 18 and the person you're looking for is like 60. So... <laughs> You know, always be as descriptive as you can. Spell the names and give uh, age ranges. Uh, if you have it. Sometimes you just don't have that information. And then they're at the the ice rink. And Hank uh, gets in trouble. So the hairdresser said that she called. the So, so Devaro asked the hairdresser, like, why didn't you? tell anybody about this that clark and um the the murdered lady had a had a relationship and she's like well i did i called you know the police department and, and told them and they're like well who'd you talk to and she said it was uh hank prior <clears throat> so they show up at the ice rink and hank is there talking to his son and there's this like dramatic like exchange between dan well first navarro straight up like i thought she was gonna like start beating him uh, and Danvers pulls her away and they get into this like pissing match where he's basically calling her a whore and she's calling him lazy or whatever. And it was funny cause when it was, when it, when it was all over and she tells him like, get back and, you know, like do your freaking job and go finish your search or whatever that I guess they're still conducting. <coughs> I was kind of conflicted about it when it was over because I was like, that seemed a bit over the top. But at the same time, like, I don't know how many times I've said it, but like working in a police department is like fucking high school with guns. I mean, there's like 
it's so fucking, there's so much drama sometimes, not all the times, but sometimes. And you would think like with a bunch of like alpha type people, male and female who are trained to like handle extreme situations and, and stuff like that. You would think that be okay. You know, these guys can handle their shit. And then, you know, two guys get in a fight, like a physical fight because one of them took the other one's pin or fucking set at his spot and briefing or something like that. And it, it happens, man. Like people like get mad at each other and, and pissy at each other for, for reasons. And I think sometimes a lot of that is just the stress of the job spilling over probably where it shouldn't. Uh, and you don't have, you know, you don't want to take that stuff out on, you know, your family or your wife and kids, although sometimes that ends up happening. So you end up like getting pissy with your coworkers and stuff like that. But it was, it was very, it was, I felt it was a little over the top, but at the same time I was like, well, no, you know, that shit does happen. Like there's a lot of fucking drama in police departments, but, uh, they go, well, I can't remember. So a vet, so prior Peter Pryor, the younger Pryor, calls a vet, veterinarian, a cousin that he has because they can't get their forensic people in because of the weather. So the veterinarian shows up to look at the bodies and he basically says like, well, uh, I, you know, I've seen a lot of frozen animals, like animals that have froze to death. And he says, I don't think these men froze to death. I think they died before they froze. And he says he thinks that they were, you know, like extremely frightened. Like, look at, he says, when people freeze or when animals freeze to death, it's like they go to sleep and they close their eyes. And then uh, these men were all like, and they were like making faces and like, like they were screaming and they contorted. And he says, it looks like they were scared to death and died before they froze. <clears throat> and. I understand what he's saying. It kind of makes sense. But at the same time, I'm like, man. <laughs> that's not a, a, a that's not a, a golden that's not a hard rule because uh, I saw a lot of dead bodies in my time like a lot and humans if you remember remember the first Lost Boys uh, when when the Frog Brothers were like giving their briefing about, about vampires and he goes you know they 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 die you know you never know how they're gonna go some of them uh, might close their eyes and go peacefully and some of them will, will fight some of them will explode and some of them will implode. Um, it's pretty much the same, like it's the same with humans. Like you don't know how a human's going to die. Uh, it depends on their condition at the time. Uh, if they know they're going to die, like what's going on with them. Like there's a lot of factors to include. Uh, you might find somebody that died of uh, exposure that very much, you know, looks like they laid down and went to sleep. You might some find somebody that died of exposure, exposure that, you know, has a look of, of, fear on their face. Um, I remember there was a gentleman that, that died of exposure, uh, his snow machine. I can't remember if it broke down or ran out of gas <clears throat> and, uh, they went looking for him and they found him and he was, uh, just <laughs> laying. It's not funny. Uh, he's laying on the ground with his arms out, like almost in a crucifixion pose as you know, his mouth was wide open. Uh, and he was just like looking up and, uh, I wouldn't say that he was scared to death. You know, I wouldn't say that he died of fright. I mean, he, he died of exposure, but I think the question is, is whether he knew he was going to die or not, or if he was just like, I'll just lay here for a minute and, and take a nap. Um, but yeah, you never know, like you never know how people are going to die. 
And uh, I don't think you can really just like look at somebody and be like, oh yeah, they, he died uh, of fright. I was like, well, maybe he died of a heart attack and he was scared while he was dying. You know, maybe he wasn't, he wasn't scared until he started to die. He didn't get scared and then die. <clears throat> but um, Navarro and Danvers, they somehow, oh, the, Navarro gets some information from her, her friend, I guess, her like really good friend, uh, that Mr. Tagak lives in a nomadic community somewhere like outside of town. And, you know, I knew a few guys that worked for the North Slope Police Department and I don't, you know, there's definitely a lot of like little villages and, and stuff that, that pepper the landscape up there, but I don't know that there's any like nomads living up there. I, I guess somebody that lives up there would have to, have to, um, fill me in on that. Cause I, I don't know. I was thinking more like, well, maybe it's like a hunting camp or something, but, but I don't know. Apparently it's like a, some people living off the grid or something. And they go up there looking for Mr. Tagak. Uh, they find him. He is uh, very, not happy and he's not very nice, very inhospitable. Uh, it, he basically runs them out of the building with or his house with a gun. Although he does uh, ex express true surprise that his, you know, they tell him that his, his, uh, the scientist guys are dead and he he kind of had this moment of like oh no like what do you mean and then he gets angry again and kind of runs them out uh it sounds like maybe he knows something and that's another thing like i was talking about how they're just dragging this out um i'm sure probably by the time it's over with like we've they've talked to somebody like mr tagak like he probably knows exactly what's going on or has a good idea of exactly what's going on but they have to drag this out there's like there's more episodes they got to get to, so they can't solve the mystery right now. And he, he runs them out of the, uh, the house. <clears throat> um, I'm surprised they didn't shoot him. Uh, but they're, they're leaving and the hospital calls and says that the one scientist, uh, is awake. Um, I don't know if I mentioned that in the last episode while they were digging them out. He, uh, he like turns and he starts screaming very like what uh, seven esque, like very shades of seven. And, um, apparently they had to amputate his legs and I think one of his arms, he's only got one arm left and they try to question him. Uh, he, he, uh, he's gone blind of course. Like he's basically, dude's not going to make it probably. And they're trying to question him. Uh, Danvers is asking what happened. And he says, something, you know, he says kind of like the same thing that we heard in the first episode. Like she's out there, she's, she's awake and she's out there and she's coming for us or something like that. You know, very mysterious. Um, couldn't, couldn't just say this is what's happening or this is what it is. Has to say, you know, she's up, she's out there, she's awake. Very, um, ambiguous. Uh, and then of course, somehow our rednecks from earlier, are at the hospital and getting in a, and fighting with the troopers. And there's like, somebody says there's been an accident in the, during the search. It's not really explained. Maybe they'll go back and explain it next episode, but somehow the troopers that are there and the rednecks are fighting in the lobby of the hospital. Uh, Danvers 
goes to assist, leaving Navarro alone with the surviving scientist. And then there's like a straight up like horror movie X-Files type thing where he has some kind of like possessive episode or something where he just like, oh, and he starts talking like in a different voice and calls her by her first name, says her mom's waiting for her, her mom's passed away. Um, we learn. And then uh, he kind of like lays back down. Pryor shows up, younger Pryor, and says that he got into um, the phone of the murdered lady and they watch a video where she, it looks like she's in an ice cave and she's like being very, again, nobody like explains what's going on. She's just like, she says her name and she's like, I've, I'm here and I found something. And, and then of course she starts screaming and the phone, I guess she drops the phone and you can't really see what's going on. Very mysterious, dragging that mystery out even further. <clears throat> and the episode ends and you know, I'm, I'm still invested. I still want to see what happens and where it goes. Um, I'm a little disappointed that they, we haven't found out any more than we have. I mean, so far all we found out is the murder lady had a relationship with one of the scientists and that that's about it. <laughs> he seemed to be, um, oddly, uh, obsessed with her. Uh, he, he's had some possible mental issues or something, uh, they mentioned, you know, and it makes it sound like he's crazy. He's missing still, of course, probably in these ice caves or wherever the fuck her video was taken. But, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's interesting. It's keeping me engaged. Uh, I wish the story probably maybe should have been, a, a maybe three episodes instead of six kind of feel like they're dragging it out for effect um the easter eggs you know the the prop department did a really good job i feel uh the writing i feel like uh you know again like when they're doing the search party they're calling like people agents like again there's no i don't know there's some details i think like the the, the prop department i feel was like super detail oriented and then like the writing was like Ah, we'll call it. it's good. <laughs> it's okay. Like, it's good enough. Nobody's going to know, except for people that live in Alaska. And there's only a, there's only a couple hundred of them, right? <laughs> and, I mean, they're, they're, uh, their HBO has to be brought in by dog sleds, so they'll, they'll never see this. But we'll see. Um, I think the two main characters... To me, they're pretty unlikable. Uh, Navarro is very like aggressive and, and overbearing. Uh, Danvers is, is just kind of not a nice person. Uh, her and I haven't really touched on like her daughter, uh, a stepdaughter. We find out in this episode is uh, <clears throat> of native heritage, and she wants to kind of explore her native heritage. And Danvers is just like no, you know, like and and not not being like nice know about it either, like being a bitch about it. Like she has, um, some tribal marks put on her face, uh, not permanent, just like ink and Danvers like loses her shit over it. And, um, 
you know, neither, neither one of the protagonists are, are particularly likable people. Uh, but if I remember the, like the first season, you know, uh, Woody Harrelson and, and Matthew McConaughey, they were, they were flawed, but they weren't, I mean, they definitely had qualities about them. Like, Oh, that dude's, you know, that's not cool, but they were endearing, you know, they were flawed, but endearing. And these, the, these antagonists or protagonists, um, I don't feel that way about, I just, I feel like they're both kind of, I feel they're, they're flawed and annoying. Um, I don't know. I'm sure somebody will be like, well, you're just sexist. So maybe, maybe I am. I don't know, <laughs> but I think it's more to do with the writing than, than anything. Um, I've seen people, uh, criticizing, oh, it's woke bull crap because there's like female leads. I'm like, what is it? You know, there's female, a female took my position when I retired. You know, what does it matter? doesn't matter. Uh, writing story matters, you know, writing matters. If it's good or not, it's good. If it's not, it's not. And <clears throat> right now, it's uh, really hard for me to care about these characters because they're not. It seems like they're not good people. Uh, and I, you know, I, but I'm sensitive about that stuff because I worked for law enforcement so many years. I'm, I'm sensitive about how people, law enforcement, are portrayed, especially on screen. Um, you know, but cons- compared to corrections officers, law enforcement are the freaking salt of the earth. Uh, find, find some movie set in like a prison or a jail where the correction staff are like all good or, or the, and there's not a, a, a crooked one or a me, a, a sadistic one or something like that. So as bad as cops have it, corrections officers have it even worse. <sighs> but anyway, that was my thoughts and critiques on episode two and three. Uh, not sure when I'm going to get back with another one. Uh, I'm not going to be able to probably record another one of these until the series is completely wrapped up. So probably the next one's going to cover the last three episodes. Um, we'll see. Uh, I'm going to be out of town for a while and won't have access to my stuff, my recording equipment to do another episode. Uh, I am going to release some videos I've had saved up for a while uh, onto the YouTube page. So you'll be able to check those out. Uh, but as far as the podcast goes, this is probably it for a while, the audio podcast, especially, but if you're on YouTube, there should be some videos out for you here, uh, in the next couple of weeks that you can enjoy, uh, head over to the Alaska watch YouTube page and please subscribe. I am like this close to getting uh, monetized on YouTube. Uh, and it seems like they just keep moving the bar a little bit further every time. Like I'm like, Oh man, I'm almost there. And then they're like, well, now you got to have this much. <laughs> so son of a bitch. Um, what else is going on? It seemed like there was something else I wanted to talk about before I got out of here. Uh, going to be out of the office for a while. Um, man. Oh, check out the new small town monsters uh, documentary uh, bigfoot on the trail it's going to be all about the kenai peninsula it's kenai peninsulas and kenai peninsula encounters uh there's some really cool interviews with uh chuk from chuk's outdoors uh, uh les stroud from survivor man uh and myself and i believe rob roy might be in there a little bit too uh, so those are going, that's going to be available on the small town monsters, uh, YouTube channel here. I believe 
in a week or so. I'm not exactly sure on the release date. There is a trailer out uh, that I have shared to my social medias that you can check out. Uh, you can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok. Uh, where else? Twitter, X, whatever it is now. Uh, I have a website, alaskwatchpodcast.com. Uh, if you like what you hear and you want to support it, you can go to the alaskwatchpodcast.com website, uh, pick yourself up a book or a t-shirt, something like that, and I will get it out to you uh, when I get back from my trip. In fact, I need that's something I need to look into. I think I might need to put a pause on that so that uh, any outgoing orders don't get dinged. Uh, and that's it. Also, I have recently um, reached the status on Instagram, I guess, of monetization. Uh, if you like my stuff there, I guess you can send me stars, which translate into money. I'm not quite sure how. We, of all the social media platforms, Instagram is probably the one I understand the least. And it's the only one that I seem to be monetized on. So um, if you go to my Instagram and somehow there's a way to give me uh, stars or gifts or something uh, and that will also help support me and that's relatively recent that just happened here in the last uh, few days uh, <coughs> I've got some funny memes on there uh, I'm one of the first I guess Bigfoot memers or meme lords uh, memes are like funny little pictures and videos that make light of the Bigfooting uh, community and situation uh, I don't know it's it's not it's not too serious. You know, I try, I try not to take it too serious. And I think you should always have a good sense of humor and be able to, to laugh at yourself. So head over there, check those out. Uh, if you like them, throw me a few shekels and, uh, that's it guys. I'm, I'm clocked out. I'm going on vacation. Uh, I hope you guys, uh, enjoy my videos that are coming out. I hope you enjoyed this, uh, recounting of true detective and uh, we'll see where it goes. We'll see who the killer is. I have a couple theories, <coughs> but I'm not quite ready to say what it is. Well, I guess we'll find out because by the time I get back, it'll be over. So I guess we'll find out then. And I, no matter what happens, I'll just tell you guys I was right. I, I, I called it. <laughs> no, I'll, I'll be honest. If I didn't get it right, I'll, I'll tell you. So anyway, uh, until the next time, I will see you later. And don't forget, up here in Alaska, the beans abides. Mm -hmm.